0: <laughs> yeah, I like, I like started rolling up my sleeves a little bit. I was like, yo, I uh, fit also, I'm
1: hot as fuck. Yeah. Sam and I, we, we didn't plan this ahead of time, but I did. Sun's I was out, like, guns you out. Know, it's, yeah. it's June. It's a little balmy here in New York, you know. Yeah. It was yeah. uh humid walking around Hell's Kitchen earlier yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. I, by yeah. the way, I passed, I was bought, going to buy a pack of cigarettes, and I passed. uh What's this guy's name? Is it Zachary Quinto, the actor? Yeah, the actor ah, that, uh, that played, played Greenwald. Spock in Trek. Yes,
0: In oh, yes, exactly. Greenwald. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah Depending <laughs> uh, on your we have those, that's
0: such but... a that's so representative <laughs> of our different uh, yeah our oh. different like interests
1: <laughs> like, right, right oh, now because yeah. write yeah. down Star Trek. I know. Yeah. That
0: that <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, so I saw that guy, um, yeah. however you identify him, uh, going to buy a pack of uh, cigarettes earlier. Oh wow. So um, I'm, just, I'm gonna City. get a
2: yeah, New York City baby.
0: So, uh, Jamie, it's usually your job uh, to the intro, but I offered to do yeah, the intro. Yeah,
3: and I accept <laughs> your offer.
0: <laughs> Graciously. Uh, so, hi to everybody listening, to Everybody Loves Communism. I am joined by my friends, my comrades, Jamie and Jorge. Hello. What's up? And we have a very special episode with um, two, not just internet friends, but I hope I get to meet them in real life one day, uh, hopefully real life friends. Uh, Matthew Sittman and Sam Adler Bell from Know Your Enemy, uh, sponsored by Descent Magazine. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me actually let you guys say, <laughs> Hey,
1: yeah, uh, uh, Aaron, I already consider you essentially an IRL friend, uh, and I, I can't you. wait till we meet. And I hope you pass through New York soon so we can hang. Uh, uh, oh, but I definitely I, will. But you didn't tell me this was a communist
2: podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually <laughs> knew, and I did. This is Sam. I actually knew, and I didn't tell Matt because I was sure I was worried he would, uh, you know, back out because he's yeah, uh, yeah. such a I mean, such a such an anti-communist.
3: How however could you have figured that out? Uh, our name is so subtle. <laughs> Aaron,
2: Aaron didn't tell us. Aaron didn't tell us what the podcast was called. No, I no, did not I, didn't. I actually did it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Aaron. Uh, so,
2: so tricked into it, tricked into communism once again
0: listen listen it's like walking into like it's like walking into like a surprise i can't even say party you know because that's something where i mean this is a little this is a party right so it's like walking in a surprise party that, that you didn't expect <laughs> and um you're just kind of like man do i really want to be here and you do you do
3: want to be here a surprise party, think party with hey, swing. i mean get it's, it like no the party
1: I will say this, it's no worse at all than any number of parties I've walked into in Brooklyn over the years. <laughs> yeah, I will stay at this yeah. party and hang with y'all, but yeah, this is I have yeah, I have is... walked into situations where I'm like, damn. Like, you want to do the Ames Simpson she... like walk out?
2: Yes. I think of this party... as like a it's like a reverse Hueck uh situation.
3: It, yeah, you are being <laughs> interrogated by the communists, yeah, not the other exactly. way around.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
4: Yeah. So, you, like the surprise party that you walk into, it's like, in Brooklyn with people who are in media and are communists That just sounds like a party in, Bro- in Bushwick, but exactly. Which, which, which,
0: all of you guys are in Bushwick right now. To me, I'm in Atlanta, so you it, might as well. Feel it hot.
3: could be, it could be some Stefan shit, but instead we're just nerds talking about communism yeah uh, it's just fine the stefan the stefan shit will happen later you know after <laughs> dark when the camera stops rolling
0: <laughs> yeah so uh i guess then to get started then uh we're not going to be talking about communism today at least not directly per se uh, per se per Speak se. for
3: yourself
0: <laughs> J- jb has a lot of questions about that actually but good questions so we all do but uh i guess to start off uh you know, and I'll, and I'll let Jamie and Jorge kind of take over and we'll go through asking questions as they pop up. But um, so on the project that you guys started, Know Your Enemy, uh, I don't know how I found it, but I just thought that, you know, there wasn't really anything like it, like in the leftist independent media sphere that was covering like the right, you know, uh, the the GOP, but also like the fringe elements. Um, so I, I think I've said this to you guys before when we talk, like the value of your show is super important because you know, leftist, Marxist, communist, whatever you want to call yourself, we should be aware of what the right is doing and their machinations and also the history of it. So, uh, just to start off, I guess the first question I want to ask is like, we want to ask is, uh, why did you guys study, uh, decide to study the far right? And what are the practical tools, uh, that it gives us this analysis? Um, what, what practical tools does it serve us, I guess, for analyzing the inner workings of the right-wing movement?
1: Well, I mean, take
2: we,
1: yeah, I mean, we started the podcast mostly because I love talking to Sam other bell more than anyone else, you know, <laughs> around basically, mm. um, which is only half joking. I mean, I really do love talking to Sam and I feel like one reason the podcast, uh, kind of works is that that somehow comes through, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, but you know, I would also say that kind of the topic of the podcast, it's, it's central concerns. Um, you know, one thing when Sam and I would be drinking and doing drugs and talking to each other, like we would, you know, often kind of revert back to some of my experiences as a young conservative, uh, as a young like Christian conservative, too, in my like early 20s. Uh, And so we kind of felt like this actually was, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's no shortage of podcasts. But we actually, you know, not to give us too much credit, but I sort of feel like we thought we genuinely could do something a little different in part because Sam was this like died in the wool leftist you know like from from childhood basically who was looking at these things that i was looking at from the perspective of an ex conservative as someone who had been in the movement been a part of its institutions kind of knew how it worked and you know that combination we thought would actually be something at least a little different than you know just two white guys in New York chatting yeah. it up, <laughs> which it, which it nonetheless is also that, but yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, we can't deny that. It's, you know, I'm not going to yeah. pretend otherwise, but uh, we did think there was at least a wrinkle there that we could explore. That would be a little different. And, you know, like give the podcast an actual purpose, you know, yeah. like, like a reason for doing it rather than just trying to, you know, be online talking and making some Patreon bucks or something. Um <laughs> To be honest, that's that's Mm. kind of how it came about. Mm.
0: And and just a follow up question too, I just want to ask: like, uh, you guys have like uh, made a joke earlier that you guys have gotten like famous now, you know? Um, And (laughs) I mean, that's not that's not completely like untrue. Like, you motherfuckers are in the New Yorker, the New York Times. Matthew, uh, you were on uh, C-SPAN, you know? Which I mean, (laughs) I guess in our like in our wonky like Z circle that is fame, right? You know, that that was the
2: coolest one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, C span C span yeah. and then uh being mentioned on Comtown.
0: Oh yeah, you got oh, mentioned on Comtown. Did yeah, you get mentioned yeah. on
2: Comtown too? Which yeah. I like to joke that Matt's boyfriend Max, uh, but I think this is also true, was more impressed that Matt was mentioned on Comtown than in the New Yorker.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is true. It's totally true. I mean, I remember it so specifically, like that the day that uh we were mentioned on Comtown, because yeah. uh my boyfriend Max is a painter. So like oftentimes, like during the day, you know, he's like smoking some pot and painting and listening to podcasts, especially like in the heart of the pandemic. And so I remember when Sam texted me that like, (laughs) oh, we were on (laughs) Town. I I texted or I I, like walked over to Max's uh, studio and I was like, max were in Cumtown. come town he's like what like, he just totally flipped out and i have to say like i think you know uh i've been with max for like you know years Ugh. but i do th- kind of worry that he might leave me for nick mullen yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean like you if know, not right? never really comes nick out Mullen no. came <laughs> out of the closet and like like proposition my boyfriend i do kind of worry what the results would be
0: yeah he's wow. well, you know, oh.
1: You know the Venn diagram, like, the v- the v- the
0: Vend- diagram between like the Venn diagram between like Town listeners and New York or New York Times readers is like it's a circle, you know, two circles, uh, <laughs> it's, two, it's two 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 distant circles. But uh, I guess I want to ask, like, uh, like real quick, then what? So now that you guys have been getting like so su- uh, su- like more attention, you know, and I guess like um i I would say like i guess national attention but also like outside of just like lefty circles you know i guess in like left liberal circles as well in more of these institutions um the libs libs, exactly the libs i was trying to be nice with fucking libs like has it uh and and i'll stop asking questions here and i'll let jamie and Hori take over if they want but like um what has it changed your approach to the show has it like put any more weight on your shoulders like a responsibility have you guys like yeah Have has there been any different approach now that you guys are kind of getting a little bit more popular
2: um i'll try to answer this one i mean for the most part we try not to let it change anything i kind of feel like we the show works in some ways that we know like matt said like i do think that maybe the, the most important thing is like we're interested in each other and what the other person has to say about whatever we're talking about. And so the conversations are good because they're the sort of conversations we'd be having anyway. Um, And as long as we're interested And enthusiastic about what we're talking about, then the show is good. There's a lot of other elements of it that I feel like we don't really know exactly why people like it. And so I kind of feel like we're like, you know, cartoon characters running off the edge of the cliff and we shouldn't look down because then we'll fall. And um, with getting more attention, basically, I feel like we're just trying to do the same thing we have done, though. I will say that more attention means that like the people that we talk about, because we are, I mean, we do a lot of history stuff. So sometimes, you know, we're, we're doing a full episode on Frank Meyer, the founder of fusionism and, you know, or like <laughs> some like old, old Straussians um, from the mid-century or whatever. And so mm-hmm. those episodes aren't like controversial, but sometimes we do talk about contemporary stuff as we're going to talk about with you guys. Mm-hmm. And um, that means that we're talking about people who are like, doing politics now on the right. And we now have a lot more of those people listening to the podcast. And so mm-hmm. I think one thing that we are aware of is like really crossing our T's and dotting our I's and not getting anything wrong. Um, because so you don't these, get brigaded by a
0: bunch of psycho right wing nut jobs who like hate yeah, you anyway.
2: Yeah. And I think we don't, we just want to always, I mean, I think. Uh, people who have been listening to the podcast for a long time appreciate that we do our due diligence. And even when we do describe these right wing ideas, we we really read the books and really try to explain what they, they actually say. Um, and um, so if, you know, yeah, I mean, if we just kind of go off on somebody, then uh, we we are aware that they are more likely now to hear it than they would have been when we had, you know, a thousand listeners. That's
3: yeah. always yeah. fun. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you yeah. have like a spotlight on you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: you know? I, I i can i say one more thing about that yes, please. It, one of the strangest thing is is that the podcast got big over the course of the pandemic mm-hmm. yeah so like the attention you're describing has been kind of like in a context in which we don't uh, like it's it, it, not a super social context you know like if the mm-hmm. pandemic hadn't existed well i don't know how the podcast would have gone frankly yeah. like yeah. you know the, uh, it was a you know a significant factor i think in some of what we were saying uh but also it's just like um you know it's all happened kind of like off screen yeah. Uh so uh it's not like we go to a lot of parties together or you know, for at least the, the bulk of it. And now when we yeah. do show up together to a party or a, a book, to so or, or some shit now. <laughs>
2: R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. Rest yeah, some Brooklyn
1: bar, you know, whatever it might be. Charlize. It is kind of like uh someone will come up to me and mm-hmm. say something like, you know, mention the podcast. It is how oh, I'm yeah. like greeted. Uh, at parties in New York, which is kind of strange because he loves it. He loves <laughs>
2: it. He loves it.
1: You love the attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, do. I really it. do. I really do. I, I, I pretend to be shy and a bit. Of course,
0: <laughs> you have to be humble. You have to be yeah. humble.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, you listen to that little thing? <laughs> you know, uh, that old little thing? Do you really? Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. The, yeah. The, but it, it, that has been like one feature. It's been strange to have it all happen, kind of like during this extremely weird phase. Like, in all of our lives and, and in, yeah. like, our, our yeah. national politics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's always nice. I'm not going to talk about the complex <laughs> uh, mix of emotions. Is it elicits in me <laughs> currently when I get recognized, yeah. usually from the majority report, which is a job I no longer have and didn't always enjoy. Um, right, but, but that was I mean, a
2: big platform. That was a lot of people yeah, watch that show. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. it's... Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, from the Antifada too, but I don't do that anymore either. Uh, but I digress. Hopefully, soon people will know me as Jamie from ELC or whatever we wind up changing our name oh, no, yeah. to when we relaunch <laughs> with our new name and logo. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. yeah, let's get into it. Let's get mm-hmm. into the the meat and potatoes of this episode. I promise yeah. to save the HUAC stuff for the end. Um, <laughs> we love
1: meat
2: and potatoes at of so, me. You yeah. know eat your vegetables or whatever. Eat your
1: vegetables. Jamie's, Jamie's going to
2: soften nutrition. us up for the kill. It
4: sounds like exactly, yeah. That's what I heard. <laughs> I mean, to be <laughs> clear, on this podcast, we also like our meat and potatoes, but just regarding text on the left and history on the left. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's awesome. We're doing
3: the reading. Yeah, that's uh, we're yeah. still we're still working out our like what exactly we want our tagline to be because it is a podcast where we do the reading, so you don't have to. But I still want people to read so yeah yeah like, reading is good people like probably, probably should do that it's fundamental messages, but like why else would you listen to a podcast yeah. about books you know
4: log off touch grass read books <laughs> that's a good tag tagline
3: <laughs> yeah books are good um we're pro book um so yeah you guys are uh i guess fash watchers as they say uh the fash have been up to some shit lately So uh, even though they no longer have a guy in the White House, although, you know, who knows how long that's going to last. I feel like Trump's uh, coming. He's coming back around. That would be so funny Mm -hmm. if he won again. Um, So Mm -hmm. what what is the state of the right post Trump, would you say? Mm
4: -hmm. Well,
1: Sam, I I can take a shot at it. Give an initial answer there. Please do. Because I was thinking about this. Um, because I think, you know, now that Trump is no longer in office and he is kind of – he's off Twitter, right? right. So he's Boo. his like presence yeah, – his presence in our national life is kind of like uh, interesting, right? He's still there. He's still making these endorsements. He's uh, in his so period he- of occultation. right right. (laughs) yeah it's like i remember reading uh when i was in college as a young conservative i was obsessed with richard nixon and Mm. really sad i know but i remember reading uh like Nixon's memoirs, like In the Arena, for example, um, Six Crises, various books of his. And he would say that kind of in the period between he when he lost the governorship of California uh, in like 62, I think, uh, between that and running for president in 1968, he was obsessed with Charles de Gaulle's memoirs, "The Edge of the Sword," (laughs) Mm. and and I and I I love this image of Nixon like reading de Gaulle's memoirs, you know, in this fallow period in between like his public uh, runs for office. And I've, you
2: know, it's interesting to think about what Trump is doing, Mm. Uh, but probably not reading de Gaulle's memoirs. But
1: no, probably not one hundred percent not. But I I have been thinking about like what kind of where we're at in this sense, and I do think you know. Like Trump was such a kind of bull in a China shop, like Mm -hmm. such a a kind of breakthrough. He kind of broke through various ideological uh, fictions and, and truisms. Of our politics, especially on the right. Like, I kind of think it was only someone like Trump who yeah. could have just said, like, yeah, like, fuck George W. Bush. He didn't keep us safe on 9 11, right? Yeah. He said that, like, on a stage, basically yeah. in South Carolina, this military state, right. uh, you know, in the Republican primaries in 2016. So, uh, where like I'm going with this. People who
3: didn't get 9 11 Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, comedic Goldman. Yeah. Man. yeah. Um, but where I'm going with this is to say mm. I kind of feel like Trump has kicked up, like it's it's definitely true. I, I kind of think of it as like three different groups uh, post Trump. So like Trump definitely kicked up the like alt right, white nationalist, fashy, like kind of online Richard Spencer, like mm. um, proud boys, proud boys, up. yes, mm-hmm. proud boys especially. Uh, During the pandemic, like the the militias who would protest lockdowns, right, the kind of more fringe, uh, militaristic, gun-toning, violent, uh, white supremacists. The radicals. uh, Yeah, the radicals who really kind of Mm -hmm. took comfort and aid from Trump. And and you kind of can see like that refracted now electorally, like someone like Carrie Lake running for governor in Arizona, Mm -hmm. right? Like total election truther. Um, she is like the endorsement of paul gosar, um mm. you know like that kind of person, but there 's also then i think like the kind of post trump nationalists like peter Thielback, j d Vance mm. Blake masters like th- like their their rise is clearly connected to trump like it, it wouldn 't be possible to imagine them without trump, but yeah. they 're also like sort of uh, like developing trumpism. Uh, as an ideology more, right? Uh, So this is the National Conservatives, their whole conference is based on this, but someone like Vance or Masters, who they're actually smart people, right? Mm -hmm. Like we know they're not idiots. And they're They're part of like, I guess, the intellectual right, right? I guess now, right? Uh And they both got Mm -hmm. Trump's endorsements, Uh, like Trump backed both of them in their Senate races, but they're also kind of like trying to do something a little more than Trump did. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, like um, uh, extend the project, flesh it out intellectually and whatever. Uh, and then there's like just if, like, go ahead.
0: Go, no, no, I was going to say just if like Trump was like pure id like, some this pure kind of reactive, like, massive reactionary muscles or whatever, they're, like, the brains to it, I guess. They're trying to flesh it out, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. Because, like, Trump would say, like, oh, yeah, like, you've been ripped off by Mm. so-and-so. But someone like Vance or Masters will take it further and say, yes, and, like, this is why um, like, one income can't support a family anymore. And, Mm. you know, so on and so forth. And then, of course, in the Republican Party, there's, like, the third group, which is, you know, just like the normal Republicans, uh, people who haven't gotten totally Trumpist, Mitt Mm -hmm. Romney, whatever, like whatever mix of people you want to put in that, that Mm -hmm. uh, group. But I kind of feel like, like the, like where, what I'm thinking about is the, is the way Trump has both like kind of inaugurated this Vance Masters, NatCon stream. That's like Trump, but taking it further but while also kind of giving aid and comfort to the more fringy, radical, white nationalist fascist mm-hmm. yeah. groups. you know, and so it's, it's really interesting to me because, like, both of those things are in play. And and you kind of can't imagine either of them in quite the same way without Trump.
2: Mm mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, wait. Did I, you want to ask Sam? Go ahead, Sam. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I, I I agree with all that. I mean, I think that yeah, you could also just describe it as like there's the new right, there's the mainstream GOP, and there's the like basically like extra parliamentary uh, fascist uh, group group groupings, um, and the connections between all these are really contingent and unsettled and something that we Mm -hmm. are always trying to make sense of, you know, like, January sixth, for example, maybe we'll talk about that at some point. Is an yeah, interesting actually, where yeah. they all they all come mm-hmm. together. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the 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 mainstream Republicans are inside Congress trying to overturn, you know, voting to not accept the state slates of electors. The fascists are outside trying to break the windows to get in, mm-hmm. uh, and then the sort of Trumpist intellectuals like John Eastman, um, who is a a scholar at the Claremont Institute, a West Coast Straussian, um, very much one of these intellectuals uh-huh. of Trumpism, is there, you know, a few days before in the room with Trump and Mike Pence and trying to convince Pence that there's a constitutional argument right. for how mm-hmm. he can overturn the election. So all mm-hmm. pieces come together in that moment. But yes. there are there are many more circumstances in which it's kind of hard to tell exactly how these different parts work together. Um, mm-hmm. Though I, I think Matt's right to um, to, to, to at least try to taxonomize them that way. I think that's pretty a pretty rough, a good rough uh, taxonomy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. So while we're on the subject, I was going to ask this later, but since you brought the, the different, I guess, factions, you know, since the right, uh, we've mentioned this on the show before, and I especially have tried to make this intervention that in many ways that the democratic party is a coalition, the GOP is very much also a coalition. And um so you mentioned j. D. Vance, you mentioned Blake Masters, but you know there's also people like say dr Oz and a and, a, and a Herschel Walker, they're like you know mm-hmm. all running for state uh, running for u s Senate you know and they're all kind of different. How do you explain people like people like that that you know there aren't they necessarily the national conservatives but also it it kind of makes me wonder these they're all different individuals with their own kind of level of fame. It's like is this an organic? decision to just all run for senate or is this or is there something more calculated and planned here it's like is, are there is there something like a you know whether it's happening in gop meetings or some other kind of organization like in terms of trying to push a much more even more right-wing agenda than had been previously in senate
1: uh i can take this sam to start uh, I mean, my sense. I think the the language I used was like kick, Trump kicked up certain things, mm-hmm. uh, and and that leads me to kind of uh, sort of my sense is that, like Herschel Walker, for example, it's it's not a super planned out, well thought through like strategy by Trumpists to to take control of you know the Senate or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I mean Herschel Walker's interesting to talk about because i'll be honest with you i do not know how to talk about him mm. in such a way that does not make light of the fact that he very well could have serious like brain damage from oh football. like swiss
0: cheese i mean his brain is riddled with ct it's it's yeah. i mean i mean not a doctor or anything like that but it, yeah. it seems pretty pretty obvious
1: yeah so i i don't know what to do with that because you don't want to be uh, unduly cruel or Unsensitive to that, but at the same time, guy's this guy's 100 percent this, this mm. radically unfit to be in the U.S Senate, and it's like the, the very idea of him holding such an important position like blows my mind, mm. and, and it's kind of impossible to think of him, though, uh, being on the precipice of doing that without Trump. So, like, so Trump is the kind of like necessary condition for a lot of this, mm-hmm. even if I think like what what we're describing isn't like a a, a well thought through, thoroughly planned uh, plan of attack.
2: Yeah, you know, if that well, makes I think, sense. I think, and uh, Dr. Oz is an interesting example too because it it <laughs> yeah. it sort of reveals another fold of this, which is there's also this phenomenon where. Trump has his own personal war with the GOP, um, with McConnell, uh, with the people who he did he do, he doesn't think fought hard enough to overturn the election. Um, and that's like, and that's always the thing with Trump is like, yeah, there's this ideological thing that he kind of had this id-like, Fox-like instinct for mm-hmm. out in the, out in the country, um, and that these sort of more intellectual populists, right-wing populists sort of identified and are trying to graft their own more you know capacious vision onto Uh, but there's also always for trump just like who's loyal to me and like who's gonna do my bidding and who's gonna flatter me the most and um and so somebody like oz is like not at all representative of like the like outsider insurgent you know middle of the country kind of Mm -hmm. trumpist figure he's like totally a creature of, you know, New York and LA and, um, television you know, and de- yeah and daytime like Trump, but, but that's like Trump too. Like, so, yeah. um, I, I do think <laughs> that one of the things that's going on with these primary endorsements is also, there was a decent article in the times sort of reflecting on Trump as a, as a sort of neo a new a new iteration of a party boss figure, mm-hmm. a Tammany Hall type party boss figure. And it doesn't <laughs> yeah. it doesn't totally work because there really isn't patronage. Like uh-huh. like the party the party uh, like um, you know boss system actually like provided tangible goods to. Yeah, things. it was transactional. It was clientelist, right? Yeah, so, yeah yes. Like no. there's no clientelism here. This is just like fealty. show me that it's fealty. It's purely fealty. It's one way. Yeah. But. Um, For but I but I think that there's at least a sort of loose way in which that uh, that analogy works in that um, like Trump is Trump doesn't have like a, a, you know, holistic vision for how the country should be. There are these intellectuals around (laughs) him who do um, and there are some of the candidates that he's endorsed who do Um, what he has is is grievance is just, Mm. it's just gripes um, and, and grudges. And sometimes somebody who is not representative of that sort of ideological vision can be a vehicle for one of his grudges. uh, And that's just as good for him. Um, So that's sort of like kicking up dust metaphor works here too. It's just, it's kind of, it's messier than you might imagine. Um, It's not like, uh, you know, the thing with, Trumpism is it's just it's it always has been this uh, disconcerting confluence of um, malice, incompetence and uh, and chaos, you know. And so and you have to just acknowledge that all those things can coexist in one man and in the movements that he attracts to himself. And
3: and to zoom out a little bit, too, I think it's also like a really good example of how uh, the way a lot of these things play out is a combination of uh, like larger material forces moving history along and contingency. Right. Absolutely. Like there are so, there are so many factors that push us in an authoritarian direction. And at the same time, Trump is like a pretty singular figure in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I basically ascribe to the theory that, Yeah, Trump's a singular figure and there's a way in which he's the only one who could do it for all these contingent reasons. But his message worked in 2016 because there really was, you know, what Gramsci would call an organic crisis, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, this this uh, crisis of legitimacy in our institutions, which only someone who is completely outside of the power structure in Washington, um, and who had no, who owed no allegiance to anyone in particular could really just take advantage of, um, of that crisis in the way that he did. I mean, Bernie was our alternative to that mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Um, but totally. But, but, Burning but, but.
3: down the police precinct in Minneapolis was my alternative to that. But go
0: on.
2: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we'll we'll, get, we'll yeah. get to that. But, uh, I'm not saying
3: that but, I did that, but
2: yeah. Yeah. No, I... I But that's right. But that's the sort of, that's exactly to say that there are these, that these massive, there are historical forces, uh, um, you know, material forces shaping the conditions of possibility for each of these political moments is just totally right. And always something that we try not to lose sight of on our podcast, too, even as we get into the kind of Mm -hmm. nitty gritty of all these conservative personalities. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I mean, my big sort of value has been that really Bernie's year was 2016. That was the year when things were scrambled, when things were uncertain, when like there was this steaming like moment of opportunity. Uh, And like, in terms of 2020, uh, I don't know what would have happened if Bernie had been the democratic nominee, especially, Mm. sorry, I don't mean to get too conspiratorial here, but Mm. I would say, especially in the interim uh, between The election in November and then January 6th, There's some part of me that's kind of like, well, you know, like the deep state kind of does exist. And they, you know, we had these like letters from generals and secretaries of defense saying, you know, to be wary of Trump and whatever. And I'm just if, if Bernie's the
2: Democrat. Like, Are they going to try so hard
1: to stop the exactly. election from
2: getting overturned? Yeah.
1: Exactly. I really don't know, but um, that's to say I, I'm just tracking with Sam. The 2016 to me was really. An interesting moment politically. And I think I've only appreciated that in hindsight, uh, just how kind of fluid it was. I mean, it is kind of crazy to think that Hillary Clinton, like the, the Obama endorsed, like hand picked Democratic nominee came that close yeah. to being upended by this Democratic socialist from Vermont. And, uh, I think that that bespeaks not just like the the situation of the Democratic Party, but the broader political situation in the country. And you know, I was telling Sam this the other night on the phone, in some ways, like some part of me, like when I think about Bernie 2016 versus Bernie 2020, some part of me wants to say that there were a fair number of people in 2016 who when they voted for Bernie in the Democratic primary, that was the last vote they cast for a Democrat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that. I know that much is true for
0: myself and for a lot of my other comrades. But I want to, I want to uh, take it back a little bit to January sixth, right? Because you guys were talking about this moment of crisis, this confluence of forces behind Trump, the minoritarianism of the establishment GOP, and then these shock troop, paramilitary, fascist street fighters, right? That uh, that gathered outside of the capitol, right? So I guess like um, I guess what I want to ask is that many so the hearings are going on right now, actually. I think there are three days gonna be three days of January six hearings, and a lot of the people, um, I don't think all of them, but a lot of them have been apprehended by law enforcement, charges brought against them. Um, however, you haven't seen this this uh, there hasn't been like a slowing of any right wing violence, like including obviously like racially motivated mass shootings, which we saw a couple weeks ago in Buffalo, right. Um, now, establishment Republicans, they like to, like, walk this, like, tightrope where they either distance themselves, right, from the most fringe elements of the right, or they'll endorse them, right? Um, I'm thinking of Josh Hawley after January 6th, holding up his fucking fist as, like, a symbol of solidarity, right, to the January 6th. It's actually the same day, I think it was, actually. Yeah. Um,
1: before before it happened, really, right?
0: Before it happened, really. Before it happened. Yeah. So. I want to ask you guys a question like about these these reactionary paramilitary groups, the subsequent violence, and what role do they play in right-wing politics post-Trump? Because like I said, there's definitely Republicans that try to distance themselves from this, but they also seem to be, Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the people I'm thinking of, they also seem to be egging it on, right? So what role do these groups play? And this violence, I guess, as well.
2: Do you want me to try? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I will say we did do a couple of episodes on January, about January 6th. We did one right after it happened. And then we did one later that was like a year later, I think, um, a few you know, months. We, oh, it was a few months. Okay. A few months uh-huh. later, we did another episode that was kind of like looking at how different factions of the right and the left were trying to metabolize the event and sort of made sense of it. And also mm-hmm. like, you know, we had more information about what had happened. Um, but I will say, and we make the caveat in both of our episodes that like, we're really not experts on, on the like militia movements or the extra yeah. parliamentary, right. Um, we're total nerds and we mostly read books and, and it's a, and it's honestly maybe like a major blind spot of the podcast that we really do fo- focus. We're so we're interested in the ideas, but I will say that I think it's really, I mean, I think you kind of got at it, Aaron, that like, mm. There's there's a certain kind of winking that goes on, uh, especially with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul mm-hmm. Gosar. They both spoke at Nick Fuentes America right. First Conference, mm-hmm. along with um, out out and out white supremacists and anti-Semites. Um, and uh, of course, afterwards, they will always sort of um, sort of feign ignorance about what was actually you know what the agenda was and who these yeah they really do were. like
0: the pikachu face like oh no we didn't know this you know what i mean like we didn't know what was
2: going on yeah but that's that's bullshit that really is mm. bullshit um totally uh paul gosar in particular he's a pretty smart guy uh he's just a committed white nationalist um mm-hmm. he's also a committed anti-imperialist in a certain way so <laughs> that's complicated yeah part. and we'll we'll get but, to that
0: weird like we'll get yeah. to that weird venn diagram when
2: we talk about nat nat cons because
0: that yeah that's just... yeah
2: okay yeah yeah but i but i will say that there's that there's that kind of winking that happens um i think um i think let me think what I want to say here. This will be edited a little bit, right? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, of course. So take your time. Take your time. Okay. So, I mean, when it comes to the actual, like, armed paramilitary wing of, of right-wing politics, um, I think that the electeds do, at the national level, Mm. really do try to keep as much distance as possible. I think mm. at the state level, um, there's often way more in um, mm. uh, Collusion, straight up collusion. <laughs> yeah. So like um, one of the things that we really pointed to when we talked about our sort of theory of January 6th is that, and it's something that really still hasn't caught on that much in the mainstream media account of what happened in January 6th because it was so focused on the election, but that mm. the actual uh, predicates, like sort of actual um, like, trial runs for January 6th happened all throughout the year at state legislatures, right. right. Where armed paramil- during the paramilitary pandemic. during the pandemic, where they would go yeah. in and sort of try to object to the emergency orders that the governors were trying to implement. And they would bring guns inside of the halls of of the legislatures, So the state yeah. houses, um, it was like and, a test
0: run almost, man. These were like test run or test
2: skirmishes almost right. For the I, big I, thing, right. I, they, I really think they were, and they were, and the other, the other thing that was a test run was
4: like a dozen beer pushes, right? Beer hall,
2: pushes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, cool. uh, and then, and then the other thing that was a test run was the paramilitaries who showed up at sit in cities during the Floyd protests during, during the uprising. Um, these were, these are all the same groups, you know, I mean, and sometimes um, they were getting money from some of the same uh, sources um, mm. and these kind of like this, the sort of strategies of how to mobilize together and the kind of um, w- what do you call it? Like the, you know, the, the, the way that they kind of like got their pride and their blood up to actually mm. do this shit was by trying it out Mm-hmm. At the state houses earlier and earlier in the year, and and then at the protests. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's important. Um, I think when it comes to kind of the hard right, that is maybe not. It's more just kind of online and not necessarily like actually gathering together with guns. Though of course we don't yeah. know which of these accounts.
0: Yeah, I want to follow up. I'm going to follow up on that, too, because not yet,
2: right? Like, it seems
0: online, right? But there's this... But continue, continue. Yeah, but what I
2: just wanted to say about them Mm. is something that I'm really coming... That I'm coming to see more clearly is that I think the right-wing politicians, they really know Mm. uh, that they have those people in their corner and that... um, And they they just don't condemn them. Um, Mm. This is sort of, like, why you get so the way in which they signal their fealty to these out and out fascist groups online is by being so adamant about like, um, free speech rights on the mm-hmm. platforms. Um, and by saying that these plat the algorithms punish conservative voices, but really they're talking about fascists. Um, yeah. and, um, I don't know if you read the latest big, uh, Steve Bannon, um, profile that was mm-hmm. in, was it in the Atlantic, Matt? Mm-hmm. yeah it was um, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting uh kind of more as a social sort of psychological profile of Bannon than anything else but um the the writer really confronts him about just like how fascist like his audience is and he 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 kind of he kind of says to her at this one point like well how 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 deep into the like online right have you gone she's mm-hmm. he's kind of like like you're naive you don't know of course mm-hmm. of course yeah. my audience is fascist yeah. um and i kind of think that we may underestimate the degree to which especially these populist right wing politicians know that their shock troops um online are are just um are just absolute racist fascist maniacs so so, so, so
4: on on that on that point you mentioned in terms of like the online right i i did i was curious about something i've noticed it's like kind of like on the fringes right now but i've started noticing a more increasing trend of like the more fringe radical uh right people on the internet which is like they're kind of just out just calling for outright autocracy with Mm. like this thing that they call like dark maga What's your take on that?
3: As if mega regular mega isn't dark enough already? Yeah,
0: like re- <laughs> really, like as if they already didn't want a daddy, right? Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: um, you know, the dark mega thing is is interesting to me because, um, you know, I it, it, when it kind of appeared, I would say the first time I really it really registered with me was when Madison Conthorne referenced ah. it right mm-hmm. after he. Uh, I think after he lost his congressional primary. After they got him for the coke, (laughs) (laughs) man. Sorry,
0: I got to laugh about that. That shit is funny.
1: But anyway. That
3: must never be spoken about. (laughs) We all know that. Like Fight
1: Club, man. (laughs) I know. No, I mean, that whole, Aaron, that whole episode was just, like, kind of hilarious to me for various reasons. Like, in part because, like like if you know what a key bump is, you know, you know, you're doing key bumps, bro. Come on, man. Yeah. You're not a stranger to, you know, these worlds or whatever. No man. uh, To say the least. But that was kind of the first time I really like dark maga when it really registered for me. And so I Mm. did kind of look into it. And there was a piece um, I think published by mother Jones um, uh, by a guy named Ellie uh, Breland is his name. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, it's really not a thing. Like it was, um, like the, the most kind of like online searches or clicks or whatever that occurred where when like the it mainstream media, yeah, when it was covered by the mainstream media, right. especially after, uh, Conthorne, you know, referenced it, uh, but, but what does it refer to i mean my sense is it's kind of like well you know trump's out of power now but mm-hmm. when he's restored when he's back in office like all these people you're now fucking over like madison Cawthorn, right like uh, <laughs> you know like anti-maga whatever like he feels ripped off and and yeah. you know treated unfairly like when trump's back Mm-hmm. We're going after you, bitch. When, yeah, when daddy is yeah, back, yeah, when, when daddy he, is back, yeah, when, and, and, when daddy and us back, with his arms, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. when yeah. when when we're you know in, uh, enfolded into the embrace of his yeah, yeah. two hundred and fifty pound hug, you know, his we're, we're hug, yeah, yeah, uh huh. But yeah. so that's so so I think like dark maga is essentially just like the revenge fantasy right. of diehard trumpists who feel now a bit kind of on the sidelines or whatever. Yeah, which doesn't say they're not dangerous, but I think that's I don't think it's really like a movement or a thing okay. in a certain well, I, kind of way. I think mm. I agree. Sam can correct me, but no,
2: no, I totally I, I totally agree. Um it, it 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 was it had like a sort of eye-catching aesthetic associated with mm. it. It was kind of like this weird like vapor wave like, like fashion. <laughs> That's what you said like, in the
0: chat, yeah, vapor wave.
2: <laughs> it, it, Yeah, so like you know, um, I think that like me, like media people were like, "What is this?" And so they wrote it up, <laughs> and that yeah. kind of was the main reason anybody ever heard about it. But yeah. I it, I think it is just sort of it is symptomatic of like a mode of online engagement that like far right posters really engage in which is try mm-hmm. to kind of kick up some kind of aesthetically or like you know kind of just just kind of like uh carnivalesque mm-hmm. uh, energy to try to get attention it's um, like the
0: dirtbag it's like the it's like the flip side to the well, dirtbag I, I, I think it I is hate.
2: but i want to say one one other thing about it which is mm-hmm. I, what it, i was thinking about it today and i was reminded that I think we forget that in 2016, before the election, the alt-right, that was like the uh height of mm. frog Twitter, you know, right, of like right. the Pepe's. And mm. um, I think during that time, these like super online right-wing trolls who had been right-wing trolls for a while, they attracted a lot more of them to them. It, a lot of it kind of started with Gamergate and all that shit. And right. like, um, but they they kind of they really felt like they could like meme. Yeah. stuff into reality and, uh, they, and they kind and of they, did and, and they kind of did and they kind of they felt like when Trump won like we Memed this president into power. Jesus fucking um, Christ. They really felt that way. And there was yeah. a th- and, and there and obviously that was like a delusion of grandeur, but there was also a part of it that was true, which is what they realized is that like the only people who are just as online as them are fucking journalists. And so like <laughs> everything, everything they did that they That's created, so a kind of carnivalesque, weird, scary, racist. Um, energy around right. would get picked up and talked about in the mainstream media and then add more energy into their thing. And they just, like, loved it. It was, like, the best time ever to be a roaming troll online yeah. during the so, 2016 so, so, election.
4: So you're saying that right now we're being useful idiots?
2: Well, yeah. I think with the Dark mm. dark MAGA thing, I think the Dark MAGA thing is actually, like, a throwback to that era. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, at least a kind of... um you know, like a smoke signal from, uh, that, that part of the right wing uh-huh. internet sort of saying uh-huh. like, just cut kind of, Cause it is also a nostalgic dark maga. It, right. it is kind of yes. like, remember what we once had. Remember when yes. you know, big, big, big daddy return. was yeah. Uh-huh. Return. And uh-huh. so, um, and I, I don't think, uh-huh. I don't think that stuff won't happen again. If, if Trump runs again, or mm-hmm. even if maybe if DeSantis runs again, um, and I think maybe one thing,
4: one one one
2: one one sort of takeaway from it is like that that like the mainstream media just does has no idea how to engage with this shit because it just they just get freaked out and they panic every single time and they also know that they'll get a ton of clicks from other freaked out yeah. parents liberals and leftists too, if they write it up. So dark maggot has all of those elements in it, I think. So, so, so let
0: me, let me actually like, I want to talk a little bit more about that before we move on, like the media aspect, right? Because, um, and I don't even know how to ask this question, uh, other than like kind of how and why, but you have this like really robust right-wing independent media sphere. And I'm not talking about like a uh, quote, like official organs, um, of the GOP, like Fox news, but I'm talking about, independent content creators, like, um, I mean, I don't fucking know, like libs of TikTok, for example. Right. Um, And all of these, I mean, posters, yes, but these, these like independent content creators that really have a platform and independent is even debatable because I'm pretty fucking sure that their sources of funding are from official elements of the Republican party and of the right. But there seems to be this deputization of individuals to become vigilantes um, the most recent thing I saw that was horrifying was deputizing people to go into libraries and pull out off the shelves, like school libraries, pull out off the shelves, like LGBTQ plus books, right? So, I guess what I'm asking this is, yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. I guess what I'm asking this is a really broad question, but like, how and why is this independent media sphere so robust? And I guess Sam, to your to your last point, why can't mainstream media combat
2: this? You know. Um, I don't know, Matt, do you have a good, quite good answer to that? I mean, uh, well, I mean, I,
1: I, one thing I want to say as you were articulating all this, Aaron, uh, is that I think it is part of like the Trump genius in a way, uh, to be able to somehow like encourage the vigilante elements Mm -hmm. and kind of like, you know, like during his, um, like some of his rallies when he's like, if you beat up, someone i'll pay right. your legal bills right yeah i remember like that one, yeah. like, like
4: there, get like him out of here
1: yeah yeah there is a pretty like direct encouragement in that sense mm. um which i think you know and it's and it's partly like the you know the the great line of the trump years it's like do you take him seriously or literally mm. um and so he's been able to kind of like with one hand sort of like pump all the anger and animus into these vigilantes, while with the other, like, you have someone like or Masters, like, trying to, like, turn Trumpism into a more coherent, intellectual, like, nationalist populist uh, project, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think in some ways, like, that's Trump's gift to the right, is his ability to kind of like the the sheer like ambiguity and um, again, serious or literal, like how do you take him? How do you read him? Um, that's been one of the, he's been able to kind of amplify both elements, right? Both mm. the, the, the fasci, like street level, violent, white nationalists, whatever, gun toting uh, Trump supporters, but also, you know, like give some kind of fodder to people like, Masters and Vance, who will, you know, render it in more intellectual and coherent, like nationalist populist terms. Mm, Um, So that's one thing I just want to say that I think, like, Mm. really, like, and I think in some ways, the the kind of energy on the right comes from that um, uh, collaboration between the fringes and someone like Vance. And I feel like in some ways, you know, like, one of the things that really freaked me out, like, really, truly... I was so disgusted by this and like, I was just like, this is not going to go any place good at all. Was when Vance said, uh, you know, when he was running for the Republican primary in Ohio, uh, which he won. Which he fucking won, Jesus. Yeah. That Joe Biden was intentionally killing MAGA voters by, by like, uh, you know, funneling uh, fentanyl to Trump voters, essentially. Yeah, I mean he, he. I mean Vance used the language of intentionality and on purpose. So it's it's right. not just like Biden's border policies bad and one like after effect of that is that drugs are coming into these places, which would have been you know kind of like wrong enough as far as yeah, it, it would have been bad enough. But right. you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead, Vance actually went for the like right. Joe Biden is killing MAGA voters with fentanyl. That's what he said. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, uh, and it's kind of like this. That's the window Trump has really opened up for me. Like, I didn't really hear people just didn't talk like that pre Trump in the Republican Mm -hmm. Party. They might have used dog whistles. They might have danced around it. They might have done, you know, but they wouldn't say a Democratic president is fucking killing people on purpose with fentanyl. Because he's, uh, you know, uh, uh, committed to an open borders globalist policy. Yeah, yeah.
4: And, and if I'm All mistakenly...
3: you fucking libs who read Hillbilly Elegy and thought it was good. <laughs> yeah. You did this. This is your yeah. fault.
1: This is your fault. Yeah. Well, well, my jaw dropped when I heard that line. When I saw that clip from Vance, I thought, this is really like a watershed. This is <laughs> like a pivot point from which, I don't know how you...
4: I don't know how you really come back from that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. and, and also, but, Isn't there like a, like just real quick, if I remember correctly, I, I, it might've been JD Vance or it might've been Blake Masters, but I remember somebody saying something akin to like this intentionality of like, just really just one step away from just outright saying like the 14 words and white replacement theory. I don't remember who it was. That was very recently. They get it really <laughs> Yeah, it
0: really could have been either. I mean, yeah. didn't didn't one of the guys recently just say um I don't even know this motherfucker's name, man. Is it Eastman? I don't know. This dude said that um about gun gun violence. He's like it's the blacks frankly. Like like just That class. was Masters. That was, that was that masters, was masters, yeah. masters. Sorry. Yeah, like frank, like he just Why? like as if he was a 19th 20th century like monocle like you know what i'm saying like it's i'm just talking about classic racism you know yeah like you're absolutely right man this is i mean and as a black person right as a black person no seriously it's like this is shit that i see all the time right yeah. i mean all the time whether it's like conscious or subconscious but in such a way that's visceral where even i have to be like wow dude you really you have no filter like yeah. that's as you said matt that's the terrifying thing about it you know it's yeah. absolutely terrifying
1: yeah i i've caught it before the. um a kind of reverse um lee atwater you know yeah. where, <laughs> where, <laughs> holy so shit so I, so I didn't mean to cut you off sam but it's like lee atwater was you know like we used to just like use the n-word and then yeah 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 you know, we couldn't we, do we, it anymore now we yeah, had to talk about well yeah, sorry go yeah yeah, yeah 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 we we used, then we learned to talk about welfare queens and exactly. whatever southern uh, strategy. And so, yeah so the street like this kind of coded language like you wouldn't have to actually come out and mm-hmm. just like call people the n-word but yeah, you yeah. know you could essentially do that and i feel like mm-hmm. we're now kind of like one thing trump has uh normalized or whatever is kind of like reverting back to just like yeah black masters saying
2: yeah gun promise just black people fuck yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. You yes. know? yeah yeah so i i just wanted to say one thing about mm-hmm. the question about uh the like fringe media because mm-hmm. i think it's interesting and it also relates might relate to sort of like left-wing media which which we all do, um, mm-hmm. but I think one thing that the fringe right wing media really does very well is um, create a sense that you're participating in a project by listening yes. to it. Uh, like uh, Bannon, in particular, he's always like, you know, Matt, you just tweeted this earlier <laughs> today. Like, 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 this isn't uh, entertainment. This is like, what did he say? This is for the hard. This is for the hardcore. This listeners. is for the hardcore. You <laughs> know, like, you're, you're in. You're a part of this. And then, and How then Bannon in that? particular. In particular, yeah, you should That's say good it, that is good uh, but Bannon in particular is like, what that means is you, my listener, you go run for it's the deputizing, uh, man, you go run for your uh, school board, you go mm, run for uh-huh. all these, all these Republican party precinct positions. Right. Mm. And, and there was a, there was a, um, uh, report that was done by, I think, um, may- maybe it was Politico or, uh. What's the, what's the nonprofit uh, investigative one? ProPublica. Yeah, I think maybe it was ProPublica where they, they looked, they looked at this, like all these new candidates for, for, for uh, precinct uh, sort of election uh, overseers in all these GOP counties. And there was this huge, huge influx of all these new candidates. And they were like, where are these coming from? And then they, they mapped it out to see it's like almost all of them were motivated by listening to Bannon's show where he was encouraging oh. people to do that shit. And what I think I and mean, it's the man. same thing with, I mean, QAnon doesn't, doesn't directly encourage people to do things as that are as efficacious, maybe right. as running mm-hmm. for precinct captain or um, for these positions in their local, uh, local party systems or for school board, but it does give people the same sense of like you're participating in a project. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that QAnon energy, frankly, is now going into the anti-trans and uh, Mm. anti-gay teacher stuff um Mm. the same impulse of like our children are endangered by the woke left Mm. is um is being mobilized for that project um so in 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 a way i feel like chris rufo has like fuck that motherfucker i'll just say that yes he has found a way to harness this Kind of useless, embarrassing mm-hmm. QAnon energy for an actually very efficacious end for right wing politics uh, mm-hmm. by getting people to to mobilize uh, against schools and teachers uh, mm-hmm. instead of just and libraries as you mentioned mm-hmm. um, instead of just you know uh, you know fighting made up mm-hmm. monsters in their heads mm-hmm. um, but that kind of participatory element of right-wing fringe media i think is really important
0: yeah and and jamie wants to ask something but i just wanted to follow up real quick If I've, i just want i just want to add one thing is just like i um, mean i think actually might lead into what jamie has to ask too is like one thing i've noticed is that the right is always like centering children right it's always like they're they're, they're uh, grooming your kids, right? It's always like there are these like uh, pedophile like sex rings and cabals, right, that are run by Democrats, you know. And whether also gr- the great replacement, right, abortion, there always seems to be like I mean, they're always kind of grasping at what they feel like is um, is leaving or eroding or being like eroded in this country, right? All of these sort of um, this white supremacy, this patriarch, X, Y, and Z, but it feels like like progeny you know and social reproduction is something that they're highly concerned about especially
2: in with like this religious zeal to it you know yeah well i think you said it yeah. i I, yeah. I don't have anything to add to that i think that's yeah, totally yeah. right yeah.
1: yeah yeah i mean i'd be happy to say more about the groomer shit but i think aaron your point was apropos and if jamie wants to get in here yeah oh yeah
3: i mean <laughs> so, yeah. okay there's like two different ways i could go from here but let's just start here um because yeah we were talking about how they're saying the quiet parts out loud again they're not they're feeling less and less need to code their racism and their white supremacy and yet at the same time uh trump made inroads with non-white voters this last Mm -hmm. time around so What's going on there? Uh, Can Trumpism expand to accommodate uh, people racialized as non-white? Or is perhaps the the blatant racism the one thing standing in the way of making it even more powerful?
0: And and can I add one caveat to that, um, Jamie's question, too? I don't know if you also saw an article recently, but um, I forgot who it was written by, but it was great. Um, I retweeted it because people should read it about the GOP opening up offices, yep. right? Yeah. Like in mm-hmm. like in, tr- in Trump, like districts that they're trying to contest because they just need to flip a little bit of like the non-white vote. <laughs> and um, I think also in 20, in 2020, Trump doubled. I mean, that was a huge percentage to begin with, but doubled his support among black and brown people or black and Latino people. Um, so, yeah, to answer Jamie's
1: question, what is up with that? Is that possible?
4: Fascist faith building. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Aaron, your reference to, I think it was Alex Salmon's piece in the prospect. Yes. Um, Yes. uh, Alex is a great reporter. Um, You know, it was kind of on the ground there and it was kind of amusing to read in part because they tried to give him the run around and, you know, uh, (laughs) but half of the story was him getting the run around and then he yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I do think it's one of those things that's kind of worrisome in the sense that, uh, For one thing, it was kind of like, uh, it wasn't an entirely political form of association, right? Mm. It's kind of like, come hang out, like, yeah, um, eat some pizza.
0: We know y'all like cookouts, we got a cookout going on
1: here, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh huh. So, I think, like, you know, that's in the mix, but I I think too, like, you know, if you were to ask for my like breakdown of that dynamic that's that you and Jamie both described, I would Mm. say one thing is, um, you know, the boundaries of whiteness are always uh, kind of being contested and reconfigured, right? Mm. So I think like over time, we should probably expect a certain number of Hispanic, Latinx, um, immigrants, like uh, the second or third generation of these families, you know, to to kind of um, maybe identify more with white political forces in the country.
2: And there's yeah. like people in, who are counted yeah. as like, a hispanic in texas who would not really consider themselves brown yeah, they've been there for right. a long long yeah. time uh-huh. they consider yeah. themselves white hispanics you know yeah, yeah exactly so
1: so i think like one thing it's worth pointing out and this was um there's a book by joe Lowndes and sorry i'll, I'll actually get the reference here mm-hmm.
4: yeah it's just kind of um t- touched on it a little bit it's just like you know you, you mentioned like you know hispanics from from texas you know especially the area of texas where i'm from south texas like you know, I think it was like the county where I'm from swung thirty points towards Trump, and you know that that does match up in terms of like my experience living yeah. there because uh, you know a lot of like you said, I think you nailed it right the head in terms of it's not the first generation people who are, who are from Mexico or uh-huh. American country, it's the second or third generation people who are more removed and are, identify more with American values.
1: Yeah, totally. So the book I'm referencing is this one uh, I just bought. it. I haven't finished it, but it's called Producers Parasites uh, and Patriots race. That's a hell of a title. I know Uh, (laughs) race race in the new right-wing politics of precarity. And it's by Daniel Martinez, Huzang and Joseph Lowndes and, and, uh, Joseph Lowndes' work I'd been familiar with before he'd wrote a great book on Fox news and populism and kind of like the, the construction production of a right-wing white working class producer, essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but uh you know all that's to say like the 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 boundaries of whiteness are shifting and i think like this is one thing we should genuinely think about is the way that like certain people might uh, said, again uh, second or third generation immigrants kind of identify with you know white people the ruling class whatever yeah um uh but also like you know there is I don't know how much to get into. The, I don't know what to say about this, but I do think there's a way in which if people come to this country, it's often because they think there might be something better for them. Yes. When my parents came here. yeah, uh-huh. And, yeah, and yeah. I do, th- I do think there's the way in which like the right-wing rhetoric about that explicitly says, why do people come here? Because America's fucking awesome. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. there's something to that. Um line of thinking there's yeah, something but, to the
0: immigrant story i mean like uh-huh. my mom for example says that reagan was the best and she's not a republican she says he was the best republican president and i'm like dude he like fired there he was i mean you guys know i'm speaking in the choir was yeah. yeah. a fucking monster you know what i'm saying yeah, but uh-huh. she got amnesty right yeah. as an immigrant from jamaica under yeah. reagan and uh-huh. it was sort of like this pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. i came to this country and i was able to you know what i'm talking about so yeah. it's like yeah. I could see that appeal to black especially immigrant voters from the right whereas mm-hmm. the liberals the way at least the way I mean well I can't I can't say this as a leftist but the way that the republicans make it sound is that they want to give you handouts right and these handouts or you're, a that you, you're a victim Or you're a victim exactly or you're a victim right exactly exactly uh, yeah. um yeah, yeah. Do, do you actually want to would you did guys want to uh, follow up on that cuz I actually have a question that's kind of it's about the NAC cons who were supposedly these I've got
2: yeah. I got one thing to say. Mm-hmm. Please, it's worth because I, I I think it's always I think the important thing with thinking about the um, yeah, the changing racial compositions of the parties is to like look really specifically at the local and material conditions. Like, because there's there's a mistake that like pollsters make is like there's black people and there's Mexicans, and <laughs> yeah. there's, or there's black uh-huh. people and there's Hispanics, uh-huh. yeah. or you yeah. know, and like obviously like one of the explanations for the border the 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 towns along the border switch going for trump is like enormous numbers of hispanic people are employed in border yep. patrol and border patrol mm. associated careers um Lots so they're actual family, like the yeah they're 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 materially like uh they're, they're associate they're associational bonds to use like Gabe Winet type language mm. is like, is are formed within a community that is, you know, anti-immigrant and is, mm. and is sort of conservative um, and, and sort of part of the militarized apparatus of the state, which is Trump's base is basically, mm. um, you know, like the, 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 the factions that do violence on behalf of the state is like his most hardcore base, but cops mm-hmm. and border patrol. And so um, like, in that case, I mean, we're leftists. We believe that people's associations with their work can can <laughs> transcend their personal identities, their racial identities like that's what we believe. And so mm-hmm. to think that that can't happen on the right is a huge mistake. Of course, mm-hmm. it can't. Like, where do people encounter each other? Where do they encounter ideas? Where do they who do they feel solidarity mm-hmm. with? Right. Um, if you are engaged uh-huh. in the project of protecting the American border, um, and your livelihood is wrapped up in the maintenance of a militarized border, mm. then hey, you're going to vote for the guy who represents that project. And we uh-huh. should, it's actually like totally like anti-Marxist, anti-materialist to assume that that can't happen. It's dematerialized. Um, it materi- it de- uh-huh. well. yeah.
1: But, you know, uh, another thing I would say is that this is where, like, I don't want to necessarily like intervene in the debates among Democrats about like using terms like Latinx. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But I will say that, like uh, a broad category like that, you know, does paper over like Cuban immigrants in Florida yeah. versus mm. like El Salvadorian immigrants oh, yeah. in the American I mean, Southwest. We and... do a
3: whole episode on the racial dynamics of the Latin right. diaspora. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like,
1: like there, there, there are a, a lot of different kinds of people from different backgrounds,
2: like you know that are so conservative social views like there's not so just yeah. it's just like a big huge mistake to assume but but yeah it, but it's an indictment people, of, though yeah black like people. yeah exactly that's the
3: one that makes less sense to me
2: Wait, yeah it's so not a mo
0: go ahead jimmy go ahead
3: sorry no i mean that's really all i had to say like i whiteness is a historically malleable category but mm. it will probably never include yeah. people racialized as black
2: yeah. Well, I also think I also think it's an indictment. I mean, I think what Aaron you were saying is it's it's also not a monolithic community either and um obviously there are competing uh values that are at play in a lot of communities like and so but I will say that um it's an indictment of the Democrats. I mean, like yes. we have to keep That's in mind this that going. we have yeah. to keep in mind that the what the alternative is here, you know. Um and uh if 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 I mean I think that the Democrats' whole project during the Trump years and certainly for both of the elections, was this guy and the forces he represents are all racist maniacs. And that's why you have to vote for us. That's it. That's the only reason you vote for us, uh-huh. you know? And that's not enough for everybody. Nope. Um, and so a lot of people stay home, don't vote, right, obviously. Mm-hmm. And some people think, like, in my life, maybe I don't actually experience that, you know? Yeah. Like, if you if you live in a Trumpy county, you might think like okay like yeah i know the like guy i see at the corner store is like racist in a way but like he's mm-hmm. not like <laughs> like
0: he's you know, not calling he's, me like slurs like the minute he's not he sees-
2: calling me slurs every day like i sort of suspect <laughs> yeah. he might say shit like that when he's at home but like yeah. he doesn't say it to my face and also we agree about taxes i <laughs> you know, like, always
4: think about my uncle i always think about my uncle like in the 2020 election he said something along the lines of like yeah i know trump is up there talking about white power but under trump i had a job and under obama I didn't yeah. Yeah. The pe- the yeah, people people
2: can people can like that's the Democrats. This is weird thing. Of course, it's happened where, like, in some ways, the Democrats have learned to talk the, this like much more left wing language of anti racism, mm-hmm. but in a way that rev- that t- they tend to lean on as a way of absolving themselves of actually doing anything, and else. it makes
0: it more hollow, and it makes it more apparent that they're paying right. lip service in their are fake <laughs> as fuck, right? Um, uh, so I want to ask y'all, I I couldn't, I couldn't have y'all along without asking you guys about, um, this right wing uh, phenomenon or specific, I guess, worldview, um, national conservatism. Right. And I think it kind of. Uh, wraps up into this question about race because the episode the first episode you guys did it on the national conservatism conference was called the not racist national conservatives right um they're definitely and, not me, racist they're definitely no. not racist it's it's not definitely cheap, not racist yeah. tug cheek right and I mm-hmm. like if i can kind of just throw out some um some descriptors i guess qualifiers so uh and tell me if i'm wrong they're anti establishment right uh anti elite anti-big tech. But I said all those things, but not anti-capitalist, right? That's the big thing, right? Mm -hmm. They're also isolationists, um, ostensibly pro-worker. And in terms of this whitewashing of race, they're civic nationalists, right? So I guess my question is, since we were talking about race, but also talking about the fact that the Democrats don't really have anything to offer, not just black and brown people, but, um, or at least they're not I don't actually believe they have anything to offer, but they're not even good at communicating, right, that they have things to offer. But also in terms of workers' rights, right, Um, and the labor movement, it seems like individuals like Josh Hawley are talking more about um, making sure, and Trump did as well, making sure that the American worker um, has dignity, again, that we're going to manufacture things here, right? Um, So I guess, like, is is the national conservatism a viable future for the GOP? Do you see that? do you see them sort of um, becoming more of a, how can I say, I don't really want to say diverse, but more welcoming of immigrants, brown people, black people, as well as
1: the language, at least, of worker solidarity? I mean, it's, to me, it's like, I'm someone who kind of does fear the Nat Con turn. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when I watch someone like J.D. Vance or Blake Masters, Like, I I get the appeal, like, you know, in in 2016, Trump won Pennsylvania, the state where I'm from. And one Mm -hmm. of the things I've thought about a lot is that, you know, for all his horribleness, like, really, like, you know, I'm like, I'm really not someone sympathetic at all to Trump. The one Mm -hmm. thing I will say about him is that, you know, uh, when I was growing up, so I'm 40 years old. Um, mm. You know, a geezer, really. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> when man, grow- yeah. yeah. when I was growing up in the 90s, the the main issue I remember my dad talking about when I was growing up in Central PA was, in fact, NAFTA. Mm. And one thing I think about a lot is that, uh, you know, Trump won Pennsylvania in 2016. Um, in 2020, he won 71% in the county I grew up in, Blair County, right in the middle mm. of the state. 71%. Mm -hmm. And the thing I think about is that Trump showed up to the uh, Blair County Convention Center for a big rally and said, y'all are being fucked over. Mm -hmm. NAFTA screwed you and like fed into all the resentments and like economic despair of the kind of place I grew up in. And I know like there's there was a whole debate after Trump won in 2016, like economic anxiety versus identity and racism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you could get into all that. But I one of the things I really I do really believe is that one reason Trump won in 2016 is that he, in fact, articulated the grievances of people like I grew up with, basically, Mm -hmm. And you can criticize the way he articulated those grievances. You can say, you know, he was selling them, uh, you know, snake oil because it was just like blaming elites and it wasn't really, you know, tied to anything sophisticated economically and so on and so forth. But, you know, I do kind of worry that that kind of message, especially when it's decoupled from such a problematic messenger like Trump, you know, when you put it in the hands of a J.D. Vance or a Blake Masters, who are Yale educated and Stanford educated, respectively, uh, that they know the line they're walking. Yeah, they're they not know. Ex- yeah, they know the exact impulses they're kind of
2: um, uh, ramping up on. Which is especially to say that the like Republicans who voted for Biden will not vote for Biden if it's, like, DeSantis or somebody mm. else, you know? Yeah. uh uh-huh. Because they, they don't like Trump because he's vulgar,
1: you know? Uh-huh. I, I remember one of the most amazing things of the Trump bear for me was, you know, my parents who are from Central PA, they visited me in New York City um, after Trump won. Uh, and, you know, both of them voted for Trump, as far as I know. Uh, and I remember I was walking around, like, uh... uh Columbus Circle with them, right where one of the Trump Towers is. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mom looking up at Trump Tower and she said, can you imagine owning that? Hmm. (laughs) Uh, But it was this kind, I do think there's a way in which Trump was like, like their version of a rich person. Yeah. Somehow connected with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the poorest, rich guy, the
0: richest, poor guy that they knew, I guess. Right. So to speak, I guess. Yeah.
1: And again, I'm really not trying to give Trump too much credit. I'm just saying no. what I think actually happened in mm. terms of why he connected with certain parts of the country. And it just it's like you can't deny the fact that he won because he actually ran this gauntlet in like the blue wall of the Midwest. All these mm. like Rust Belt states. And, you know, and I just kind of, uh, you know, for for Trump, obviously betrayed workers in so many ways during his presidency. But Mm -hmm. I do think like the fact that he campaigned the way he did and used the rhetoric he did about jobs and outsourcing and China and NAFTA and all that, Mm -hmm. like, uh, uh, you know, my worry is that, you know, you put that message in the hands of people who actually aren't lunatics. Yeah. um, That that could actually have some real power yeah, so that's especially,
3: why,
1: yeah. So, like
3: especially at a time when the democrats are making hats that say america is already great like
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> come the fuck on yeah.
1: yeah 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 i mean what makes people just want to roll the dice you know yeah. like that was kind of my read on trump in 2016 was like right. there were there was just a certain number of people who were willing to say what the hell uh-huh. could it really they get hate- worse
2: they hated hillary too
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's uh, that's something that uh, the right and us are aligned on.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Like if all he if all he ever delivered on was the promise to lock her up, fine.
2: And on the lives. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'd have been like, mm, I'm like, oh, damn, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> he I'm
2: couldn't kidding. even do that. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't even deliver on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I agree with everything that said. And uh, I mean, Aaron, to answer The question Can they like temper the racial element in order to bring in uh, more non white voters? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think, I think yes. I think we should take it seriously as a challenge. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, I think, I mean, like I already said, I think it's a huge mistake. It's been the huge mistake of the Democrats in this era to assume that if they just say, we're not those guys. Orange man bad. Orange man bad. Or
3: rely on the shifting demographics of the country mm-hmm. as if there's oh, yeah. something essentialist no, I, about a person of color voter. That makes yeah. them vote, vote for, a for a
4: Democrat. Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Democrats were shocked about Florida. Like, how did Florida almost become 10 points? I'm like, because fucking Cubans <laughs> are right wing. That's why. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And
1: that's, that's so
3: fucking absurd, too, about like the replacement theory narrative that's going on right now, too. Like, just because the Democrats Democrats think that's what's going to happen. Doesn't mean it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. interesting.
4: Yeah, they have their own version of a replacement theory. So that's really interesting. Jay. Well, yeah, that is they have, that is what the right says.
2: Like they say, like like you can't say that we're bad for saying replacement theory because like the you know the, what what what's the, what the the coming Democratic majority was a book that you guys wrote. So you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like you guys are relying on the grace pl-
0: replacement theory too, unironically, right? Yeah, yeah. So.
2: Yeah, and I, I would just
4: say that racism all uh, the way down.
2: <laughs> there's yeah, exactly. On all sides. Um I, I just think one of the things that one of the things that Matt and I have been talking about a lot lately is that like January 6th really felt like the culmination of this minoritarian po- political moment for mm-hmm. the right. Um and um obviously they continue to be to try to pursue uh policies that will make it harder for people to vote. Like that's like just core to their agenda. Mm. Um, But I think that it would be a huge mistake for the left to assume that the Republicans in 2022 and in 2024 cannot win a majority.
1: (laughs)
3: Absolutely. Uh,
2: Yeah, Yeah, totally. I mean,
1: my, my take is kind of that like, you know uh, I mean, because one thing we've done on know your enemy is really, you know, for like two years, we were sounding the alarm. We were saying, what are mm. they giving themselves permission to do? We were mm. talking about the minoritarian authoritarian, like mm. instincts on the right that we saw. And I kind of feel like those crescendoed on January 6th. And now I I really do feel like we're in a different moment, you know, and like we're, we're in this period of time where I really thought Democrats had a very narrow window, to kind of, like, change the balance of forces in American politics mm. or, like, kind of shift the, the narrative, however you want to put it. And they really haven't done so. And we can, mm. you know, you can argue about why, you know, mansion and cinema, you know, the, the thread-bare my, my nor- you know, majority they have in the Senate, et cetera. But I do think, you know, my own calculations when I look at the right have really changed because I really do think that there was this moment where, okay... Trump was president, <laughs> the pandemic happened. Mm. Um, he clearly fucked up a lot and it was, you know, I think that was the ideal conditions for someone mm. like Joe Biden to run a campaign. In fact, from his basement. That was just about to say from his fucking basement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this is, this is why I think he'd get his uh, clock cleaned if mm. in was, the pandemic was yeah. Yeah. Or like, the pandemic like, wasn't. A, yeah. Yeah like the, like the 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 precise circumstances in which Biden won were i think uniquely tailored to him winning in that precise mm-hmm. moment yeah. right mm-hmm. because he like you know, his wife and, and a daughter died in a car accident. He was like mm-hmm. the griever in chief. Like he could channel like that sense of um, mourning and grief mor- and, mourning and grief. Yes. Rebirth I mean, sort of loss. Yes. Yeah. They're I lost. mean, this, this was my I wrote a cover story for the New Republic on the religious left. And I said, like, the, the one thing about Biden was it did seem like his Catholic faith and the way that, you know, interacted with his own grieving over the years. Mm-hmm. Right. Made him like uniquely able to sort of, I think, channel people's trust in this moment. He was an old white guy, right? He wasn't going to defund the police, Mm -hmm. Uh, like his kid. You know, uh, the police
4: bill of rights he passed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know. So like, like Biden was just someone who I think could channel that moment in a certain way. But it was a very narrow window. And I think the circumstances have changed drastically. You can see that in his approval rating, the fact that Democrats really haven't gotten enough done. And again, we could talk about why that's the case, but my own read is that right now, um, Democrats did not seize the moment they had this window they had to to both fortify democracy in terms of like process and you know uh, voting rights and all that, and they didn't really you know, the Biden is FDR kind of stuff, which I, I was not totally like opposed to in the sense that it did seem like there was this moment where Democrats had rejected austerity in a certain kind yeah. of way. Yeah. And I remember so, we talked about in the episode yeah, yeah. that
0: we had done from iPod. this is exactly what we had talked about exactly. three years ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: So he brought, like all the like post post neoliberal theorists into the administration, there's yeah. a good Stephanie piece. Kelton. Uh,
0: yeah. 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 Oh, actually, no, he uh, didn't. He did it. He did it not
1: she's not, I don't
2: think she's in there, but no, like a no. lot of these kind of, uh, yeah. Neo Keynesians. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was kind of like, uh, we'd
1: learned the lesson from the Obama response Joe. to, yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah. uh, you know, the recession. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so all that's to say, like, you know, I, I, I thought there what really was an opportunity for Democrats in the, you know, to, to kind of, change the terms of the conversation and they didn't, they haven't done that. They didn't do that. And so now I'm just like, man, I don't know. They could really get their Mm. clock cleaned. Mm -hmm. It it might not happen. There's, you know, again, you run someone like Kershaw Walker in Georgia, like that's not the ideal, (laughs) Like, play to pick up that seat, right? If there's anyone, especially, like, Reverend Warnock, like, I admit I'm a Christian, I'm a church-going Catholic, whatever, like, I have a soft spot for Reverend Warnock. Man, I even like him,
0: man. I even like him, (laughs) and I'm much farther left than he is, but I do, I mean, they're like, he's like, he's like, too, but yeah he's like the warrior but i know what you mean no he's like the, he's also like the warrior i guess i guess uh herschel walker is warnock's warrior you know they're like real yeah. flip sides of each other it's pretty, pretty fucked up and
1: dark you know mm-hmm.
3: yeah really tell the other trail billies that you like him okay
1: no nah, don't tell please don't, <laughs> don't tell, don't tell please. like i confess my normieism and i'm like you know what like you don't like the what it, if what it takes for for democrats to win a senate seat in georgia is for you know a reverend from MLK's old church mm-hmm. or something, you know, to yes. to run. Like I'm for it, uh, yeah. and I think it's good for Democrats actually to have someone who's a, an actual minister uh, yeah. and talking about the way his values relate to I, you know the way we treat people.
4: I like mm-hmm. Warnock because this this church in uh, New York City brought Fidel Castro. What yeah, one that's of the only cool
3: things he <laughs> yeah. ever did. But I'll, I'll give him that. Sure, <laughs> sure.
4: Uh-huh.
2: Whatever the right hates about him most is probably the coolest thing about him. Yeah. It's, oh, it's,
4: right. it's, that's how I heard about things like the right were talking about. It, and I was like, oh, he did that? That's pretty base. I, I like that. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had like
3: a vaguely good position on Palestine, which he was forced to walk back, I believe. Yeah,
1: he yeah, was. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. He yeah. was. Yeah. But I, I do, I do love lefties being like, "Wow, well, I didn't know that about Warnock." <laughs> yeah, I'm like,
3: good for him. Castro,
1: yeah. cool. Yeah, you
3: know, I'm not made of stone. What can I say? Yeah. Um, the religious left,
1: you know, we've had our moments over the past couple of decades. Yeah. Not enough of them, but you know, not, yeah. enough. not enough, not enough, not enough.
3: Well, well, that's a, that's like a whole other episode that we could do on that yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll bring back Marvin. We can, like, Mm. fight about it. I don't know. Um, Mm. (laughs) Marvin is very against combining uh, religion and the left. But, yeah, anyway, I had a question I wanted to Mm. ask about coalitions abrupt transition um so i really liked your episode about the national conservative conference and you know the taxonomy you've been doing of all the different elements in this right-wing coalition and i'm wondering like how what is what is holding this together exactly um how durable is this coalition say between uh evangelical christians and like free market capitalists, elites, uh, and does it show any signs of cracking? Um, One thing that made me think about this was uh, seeing in the news recently how Florida's uh, conservative state government was willing to revoke this special tax status held by Disney, a corporation, (laughs) over these kind of culture war issues. So what's what's going on there? Because that's not something that Republicans used to do.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's one easy answer to that is that, you know, this is kind of one of our stock lines, but, uh, they're, they're against woke capital, right. But really Mm -hmm. the woke part is the problem, not the capital part. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like Disney, that Disney thing, I think they may continue to do these kinds of tactical anti-corporate, uh, like revenge (laughs) legislating. Um, but they're not based in a principle and when it comes to, Disney, like it's not based in a principle about like what the a proper relationship between government and corporations or between people and corporations. Um, in that case, it's just it's just um, vengeance, you know. It's just uh, vitriol against Disney for you know being too gay. Um, so I think that one of the answers is that like uh, they use culture war uh, fodder, um, mm. or base or, or, or okay. It, let me put it this way. Um, They are willing now as they were not before to use government power to prosecute the culture war against corporate entities that they see as anti-American. And that is fascist to me. That is an iteration upon the old um, like hardcore libertarian consensus in the party, but it is Mm -hmm. not evidence of a willingness to kind of engage in much, some kind of much more broader, redistributivist um, or anti-corporate policymaking. Mm. Um, I will say that to answer your your more general question, there are all kinds of signs of at least like um, intellectual fissures within uh the kind of old school fusionist consensus in Mm. republican party which fusionism was the idea that uh you could put these christian traditionalists and these hardcore individualist libertarians together in one party and that they would be melded together by the the concrete of anti-communism and Mm. we would say also like racism (laughs) yeah racism Uh, just about to say
0: it holds the glue together i remember you guys saying it
2: last time yeah so so that was really the sort of modus operandi of the Republican party for all of the 20th century after the post-war um, mm. uh, period. Um, well, from the 1960s on, um, mm. but, um, and you see all kinds of evidence of that kind of breakup and conservative thinkers and writers and pundits are constantly talking about how um you know, there's these post liberals, there's these national conservatives, there's this new compact magazine that's like Sora oh, and, um, yeah, Schmitz, and they're kind of, fucking work of hardcore Catholic, um, uh, but like pro worker populists, yeah. and and they have Post-lefty. like lefty weird, yeah, but you know, like Vivek Chibber is like publishing yeah. in their magazine, so like they Oof. they are they're they're actually at least intellectually more serious about the uh pro-worker stuff than you know anybody who's elected in congress right now mm-hmm. um obviously like look yeah you can you, you squint and that stuff just looks like fascism or at least corporate <laughs> yeah, right yeah um so it looks, it's like salazarism um, yeah some right ass shit yeah yeah but um but yeah so but then when you look at the actual institutions and not just the ideas mm-hmm. um I think it's pretty much all still being held together by the class forces that uh, like constitute the Republican base. Um, Mm. I think they are basically um, reshuffling slightly uh, because they have this influx of white working class voters into their party who are exiting the Democratic party. And Mm. that accounts for the rhetorical, Uh, support for pro-worker policy um, and also the support for more harsh border enforcement, because they actually have just simply won the argument on the right that like Mm -hmm. tougher borders is good for low wage workers. Um, Mm -hmm. We can show them the white papers that say that's not the case, but it's too bad. It doesn't work. Um, So, um, but I think that for the most part, the Republican, so the sort of material base of the Republican coalition continues to be, um, kind of, the reactionary bourgeoisie, and mm. um, that hasn't really fundamentally changed. It could. Uh, there are there are there are right wing populists writers. I think like Julius Crine and the people at um, what's his thing called American Affairs. Uh-huh. Uh, they a lot of those people actually would like. It to change more fundamentally because they mm. actually really do want to see some of this more industrial policy and mm. sort of corporatist um, uh. like uh, labor and capital uh, mm. collaboration take shape in a way that would help, especially white workers, but other workers <laughs> too. Um, yeah. But it hasn't happened. Like if you if you read Julius Krain, he's he he is actually very skeptical of that the the that the GOP as it currently exists could represent a new kind of class coalition. Right. Um, and I think if, if somebody who really wants it to happen is skeptical, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, we should, we have right. We, we, we have good reason to be too.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the, it turns out the New York times, uh, opinion op-ed page doesn't count as a real world constituency.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um,
3: Jamie here with a special ELC housekeeping bulletin. Uh, Actually, it's the usual housekeeping bulletin, but that's okay. Uh, So we were so excited to interview our pals from Know Your Enemy that we forgot to do our usual thing where we beg for money. Uh, Typical, at least for me. Uh, But as always, our show relies on your support. So if you like what you hear and want to help us keep on doing it, You can throw us some phones at patreon.com slash everybodylovescommunism or fans.fm slash everybodylovescommunism. And that's going to help us keep creating that cool communist content that you have come to crave and to love. It will also unlock all of our bonus content. We've got some cool stuff there already, as well as some more cool stuff planned. Uh, What else? We got a Discord. Uh, This should be up and running by the time this runs. Uh, Yes, that's right. I am deleting the ELC section of the Antifada Discord and making a new one just for us. So... Yeah, if I haven't said cool enough yet already, we have a lot of cool things planned. And uh, some of it even involves interstate travel. Intriguing, I know. So um, gas prices being what they are, uh, we could really use some help with that. one more thing you can do is uh, this does not cost you anything but it'll really help us out if you can go into Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice little review and five star rating or however many stars is the maximum I think it's five because uh, apparently those matter Jorge was explaining this to me the other day so yeah let's, uh, let's get some stars going um, that's all for now I think so uh, yeah Back to our interview with Know Your Enemy. Hope you like it. So, yes, uh, here on the uh, communist, far anti-fascist left, whatever you want to call it, um, the task at hand is often spoken of in terms of the three-way fight, right? We, and and I'm, I'm broadly defining we as the people who want to overthrow capitalism, right? And institute a, a, a new mode of production based around uh human need and all that good shit uh we think we got to defeat both the bourgeois state and so-called liberal democracy which can encompass everything from social democrats to centrist liberals to you know neocons um, and on the other hand these forces of far-right authoritarianism that stand against even the sort of um the sort of fake democracy we've come to expect from uh, the capitalist state. So question, Um, because leftists do disagree somewhat if it ever behooves the left to uh, side with one against the other. Usually uh, they're talking about defending uh, liberal democracy and this bourgeois state against the far right. Um, Do you think it ever behooves us to to do that, to side with one side against the other, uh, given that they're both our enemies. And if you're comfortable, you're comfortable stating where you guys kind of fall on that political spectrum, I would be very curious to know.
0: Yeah, she's calling uh, y'all, making the lib allegations right now, so y'all gotta defeat the lib allegations.
2: (laughs) I know, I don't think we're gonna succeed. Um, Nah, you won't. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, no I I you're I, just I teasing you. We're
1: teasing you. S- Sam, you go ahead. I, as, as the more normie of uh, our pair, I'll Only in certain start. respects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, only in certain respects. But, you know, uh, I'm someone who, like, really did. Uh, I think Sam would agree with this. Like, on the podcast, I know you're enemy. Like, I was someone who said, at the end of the day, it's worth showing up to vote for Joe Biden. And you know, uh I look back now and I think, you know, uh, <laughs> like it, it didn't go exactly as I wanted. On the other hand We got him. We got him. Yeah, on the other <laughs> hand, yeah. On the other hand, I would say something like, you know, at least in New York City, uh my um, you know, uh, uh, where I voted, it didn't take me more than 20 minutes to vote. Mm. And for me, the question is something like, is it worth showing up to vote for someone like Joe Biden, despite Mm -hmm. my real disappointments and criticisms of his administration? Uh, And I still think the answer to that is yes. And I think like one reason we can see is like in the, basically like a Biden National Labor Relations Board would be more friendly to union organizing. than a Bruzo hive. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Than a Trumpist one. And so for Mm. me, it's like, Uh, I I admit that for some people, voting is more difficult and takes more time. But for me, the question was like, is it worth taking 20 minutes to go vote for Joe Biden, Uh, even if I'm really disappointed? Uh, And the answer was yes, because I just thought that, you know, when it came to things like staffing the NLRB and, you know, Supreme Court justices even – uh, you know, the federal judiciary, like all these things where Democrats really are better than Republicans, even if they're not where we want them to be. Um, I, I, I really thought that the the threat of Trump and the, the limited possibilities of Biden doing something good were worth showing up to vote for him, mm. uh, even though he wasn't my candidate. I mean, I was totally in the tank for Bernie. Like Bernie's the only politician I've ever really believed in to be honest same. Same, you know, yo same uh, here dude you know and like whatever that means what, that that opens me to certain criticisms too but yeah i guess i'm just saying that at the end of the day for me um whatever my disappointments in biden i i really think that you know um there's a way in which there is a foothold for the left in the democratic party it's not a very big one it might not work out It, you know, Mm. um, it might be 30% of the party, but, Mm. you know, the Trumpist right is extremely dangerous. And, you know, they've proven that to us again and again and again. And so for me, it's just kind of like when when those are the options before me, even if I really am not very enthused about the Democrat, to me, it was worth the 20 minutes to show up and vote for Joe Biden uh, Mm. just because it was worth it not to have Trump in office. And again, things like the NORB, various judicial appointments, et cetera, um, were to me obviously an improvement on what Trump would have offered. Mm-hmm. So that was my that maybe that's not a way of actually answering your question, but for no, me, no, no, I think it does. Like I like, it does. like I I guess I I guess saying too that like for me, voting is not this like um incredibly fraught morally weighty yeah metaphysical <laughs> mm-hmm. decision like to me it's just like at the end of the day there are going to be these two options before me it's utilitarian and, for you yeah yeah and could I make a slight you know would it be slightly better if one version rather than the other was elected I think yes and so that was my calculation
3: yeah okay. I'm not uh, fair enough okay so you're socked him um <laughs> <I'm laughs> yeah thinking about Definitely. voting yeah uh, either like i'm thinking about how for instance like antifa was uh conspicuously absent from january 6th and probably would not intervene in such a thing
4: yeah but they were there jamie i'm joking joking. (laughs) 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 all right Uh, what's
3: uh what's what's your answer sam i would like to know
2: yeah right well yeah matt's matt's way of answering the question is very attractive because it doesn't involve uh having to answer long standing <laughs> sock dem <laughs> verse yeah, um, but, yeah, cool. but but Marxist. that's
1: that, that's I actually how I,
3: think. I won't like, get it, to me it wasn't it. a
1: referendum on yeah. the deepest questions well, uh, facing yeah, yeah. us. To me it was yeah. like a very practical uh mm-hmm. decision, you know, at the end of the day between two people.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Is it wasn't some
1: ideological
0: kind of like uh, thing that you had to workshop in your brain. It was very uh-huh. utilitarian. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I think um yeah, I, I've got all kinds of cop out answers, but I think, yeah, generally speaking, you know, okay, I'll answer this quite honestly. I really wish I knew for sure that, like, the kind of left populist takeover of the Democratic Party was not possible. You know, like yeah. I wish.
3: Really,
2: I, I wish spend I wish some I...
3: time with us, man. Especially, well, uh, but Aaron. but I but I listen to well, I've we'll been I've been stewing I've been
2: stewing in like the left milieu for my entire adult life. I know so many of my closest friends are radical Marxists and you're an organizer Um, as well. I I don't organize anymore, but But yeah, yeah, I used to do union stuff. Mm. Um, But I, and, and I've never like been like, yeah, dispositively convinced that uh, the kind of like Bernie style project of like entryism, I guess, right. Of entryism, Mm. like will not work in this country and therefore, you know the trots are right, and we have to uh, <laughs> we have to do it. I'm not we got to build. Dude. We got. We got. Well, we got to build. You know, independent working class power yeah, 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 yeah. in our own party, and do it <laughs> the way they do it in every other country. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because if I knew that for sure, then I would give up on it altogether. What I do <laughs> think is that the left has barely fucking tried it. Um, mm. Barely, barely. I mean, hmm. you guys, Bernie. There was no left in this country before Bernie twenty sixteen. I mean, oh, yeah. I was on it. I was there. I was in it. But it was losers. Yeah, yo, you're and yes, the the occupy misfit, was yes, the misfit yes. toys. I mean, occupy was occupy, occupy was the fringe. high point before Bernie. But we were so yeah. fucking fringe. We were yeah, yeah. so marginalized. Like, yeah. like the, the like we had the same debates, but they were even more theoretical. They were even more pathetic. They like, weren't even really happening a, online. Like arguing that. with a trot. At at, yeah. at fucking occupy in like in twenty thirteen yeah. like like yeah. I mean twenty eleven like yeah uh, 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 pathetic
0: you know like yeah can like, I like can I just idea, say yeah. I just went to Zuccotti Park I'll put it this way I went to Zuccotti Park when I was living in New York not to go to occupy I wasn't radicalized I just went there to go buy weed because all these fucking <laughs> like all these anarchist lefty dudes I knew nothing about that shit and I just yeah. wanted to fucking get high before I had to go back to class so yes yeah, Sam agreed
2: well agreed. so 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 but that's just to say I'm not trying to just shit on the pre Bernie left um it's just that um in my lifetime i've seen us go from like no meaningful political power of any kind mm. to almost winning the democratic nomination for president in a, an election damn. year where i think we would have won we could have we really bernie would have won you really could have yeah. won at least yeah um, and going from having one socialist in congress in the name of bernie sanders mm. um to having several, we all, we all have our complaints about them, but of course several, um, and, and those people are existing in Congress with like, no, we have no, like, you know, like surrogate party structure that can, it can actually like, um, you know, impose any discipline on these candidates. Like, Mm -hmm. like, like basically none of the things that would move that project, which in my mind is like days old, um, Mm -hmm. have really been put into place. And so I kind of like, I'm still, I'm still a sock dem in the sense that like, I kind of think we haven't even tried. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, this, this theory is not like, I'm actually like, actually quite less sanguine on the pure kind of like Chantal Mouffe style, Mm -hmm. um, like left populism that we can just (laughs) kind of like, articulate into being a, this new party system this new <laughs> yeah, this we new, this new we can party. manifest it <laughs> yeah we could just manifest it but i i think we need the labor movement and so we mm. need to be just just to, just so fucking focused on uh, on building power in labor mm. um mm. and and like when 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 it when it when people kind of when there are situations where there's like a group of people who have energy to expend and, and expertise to expend on, like, working on this or that local electoral campaign versus working on, like, salting at a warehouse or whatever. Like, in those situations, I might say, like, no, salt at the warehouse, you know. But that doesn't mean that, like, my overall I'm, – I'm not overall totally burnt out on the possibility of, like – Entry-ism, oh, I guess. But let me ask you a question. All right, that's me, cool. Well, let me ask you a question. I, I have been accused before. of Kotskyism many, many times.
3: Look, <laughs> we deal with him on separate episodes. It's fine. We could be friends for now. Matt, um...
2: that, that Matt is right. I will say Matt is so right about the NLRB thing. Like we're all like, fuck yeah, the fucking Amazon, yeah. and it's like, yeah. not, I don't take, I want, I don't want to take a, a, a any amount of credit away from those workers. Incredible, brave. In, it's actually such smart organizing yes. uh, a lot of a lot of forces were in their corner but like still like billionaire piece of shit against like a handful of workers mm. including communists and mm-hmm. um and like it's the coolest thing ever and not to take anything away from them but <laughs> the, mm. the the biden nlrb
4: yeah
2: pat- litigated you know i don't know what you call it in the lrb system but like basically established a a a a legal requirement that allowed the organizers to come into the warehouse when they were off the job and a lot of the people you talk to are like that made a huge fucking difference because they couldn't Mm -hmm. kick us out when we were trying to organize you know Mm -hmm. um I mean, they're, they they actually hit Amazon like over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jenna Bruzzo, who's the um, general counsel of the NLRB, is like mm-hmm. a really creative labor lawyer. And um, I think we can't discount the possibility that like mm-hmm. this thing doesn't fucking happen if mm-hmm. Biden's not president. So so when so when we're talking about the, um, you know, very strategic tactical voting, tactical mm-hmm. voting thing. I think there's an argument to be made. And then I've also just made my kind of pessimistic pessimism of yeah. the intellect, optimism of the will argument for not giving up just yet. Well, Sam giving let me, up just yet
0: on the let me interest. ask you a question. On on two notes, I will say that we'll concede that um I think as of a couple of days ago, maybe it was even yesterday, the 1,000th um filing for unionization went through with the NR um, NRLB. And I think that was NLRB. I think that was. Uh, the milestone, the thousandth milestone was reached last year was wasn't reached until October. Right. Yeah. So I definitely do think the conditions were kind of it wasn't just under Biden's. Mean, and
2: a, it's it's not mm-hmm. just the IRB. It's also the loose labor market. Right. Exactly. Also, exactly. So that's that's a big part of it. But like my dad, my dad, my dad mm-hmm. is a labor lawyer. <laughs> and basically they like they would not a union side labor lawyer they would mm. not bring anything to the nlrb during trump basically mm. all litigating at the nlrb level was stalled out because left wing labor lawyers knew like anything anything we bring them they're just going to set bad precedent yeah. and so yeah. basically like like unionization processes were like way slowed down and like mm. ulps were not being litigated mm-hmm. unfair labor practices were not being litigated like mm. that's the that's one of those kind of like administrative state democratic administrative state is better than a Republican one. But that doesn't settle Jamie's question. I don't want to suggest that it does.
0: But but this is what I want to ask though. This is what you said that you said that you don't think the left has tried yet, right? And I will agree with that in some context, but I think Jamie and I especially and I think Jorge too, I think where we are is that it's not that we haven't tried yet. And obviously there are there have been, I mean, the, decades, right, of Cold War propaganda all this shit. I don't think it's possible in this country, right? I just don't think it's possible, so I don't mean to get too deep in the ideological weeds where I'm like, like,
3: just elections. Even even when it is possible, Mm -hmm. you get a situation like uh, Syriza, where a left-wing government becomes the administrator of austerity because of overarching factors within a capitalist (laughs) global economy.
2: That's a super interesting example because that we're the we're the imposers of it of austerity on the rest of the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like actually the possibility for electing social democratic power in the u.s has massive implications for our allies our Mm -hmm. comrades and the rest of the world um so because like i totally agree and i also think like um you know if bernie was elected i have all kinds of night i have even in 2020 tw- in 2020 it seemed like he might win i was like this is gonna be a nightmare administration like everyone's gonna like you know it's like the old oh, you, um you, 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 the, the shooters in the kitchen awkward, you know that that essay from uh i think it's it's like a somebody i think maybe it's palanza's essay about yeah. about like allende it's called shooters in the kitchen and it's about how like what happened you you may maybe you you get you take over the state but like the shooters are there the shooters are still in the kitchen like they they're still gonna Uh um,
0: you always have this reaction the forces of reaction like they don't stop right Uh,
3: i guess i just think of capitalism itself as the shooter you know as long as that's around uh we're gonna have crisis after crisis and i think uh, of it
2: as like Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. Social
3: democracy is going to crumble into fascism um, as capitalism inevitably spirals into crisis, and that's why my horizon um, might seem utopian to some, but very pragmatic to others. Um, yeah, because I think we just have to win the game once and for all, and
4: yeah, turn, the big game. Oh, oh,
3: well, uh, uh, uh-huh. and, and create not just a better world, but a, mm. a totally, totally different one. But, I will um, buck the yeah. trend
4: i will buck the trend and say i i mean and i've not i've said this before on this podcast that i do have critical support for social democrats in specific circumstances like i support her oh. my criticisms i support lula and i support Xi Jinping you know of course like i support <laughs> <laughs> <Based>. well,
3: uh,
0: <laughs> Matt is there anything uh, before we close that out Matt is there anything you want to add to uh to this uh, relitigating this debate that we will not see, in front, uh, of, at least not
1: through our lifetimes, at least. Yeah, well, I, I think I would just say that I, you know, one of the things that I did worry about was that if Bernie had won the Democratic nomination in 2020, yeah. uh, and if the deep state had allowed him to accede to the presidency, yeah. I would have, you know, I really would have been worried about like. You know, uh, all the failures Get his melon body. popped, <laughs> well, of all the failures of, say, the, the Biden administration. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. we know are are related to things like there being 50 Democrats in the Senate and two of them mm-hmm. being Manchin and cinema. like mm-hmm. the Bernie would have been blamed for all the failures of the party in this moment. And it would have been like a a, a referendum on the left right. in a way that was not fair at all, because it's, it's obviously the case that the Democratic Party is not like a Bernie party. Right. The so party. he yeah. would he yeah. would have been fighting not just against the mainstream media and the Republican Party, but also Democrats. And I, you know, I, I do kind of think th- there's some part of me that's like, yes, like Bernie might have been able to get. Certain things done that Biden didn't, or would have mm. been more aggressive in certain areas. But at the end of the day, he would have been blamed for certain failures that would have, you know, set us back maybe however yeah. long. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exa- exactly. And, yeah. you know, uh, whatever you make of that, like, I don't know, you know, it's, you, there are different responses that one could have. But I think that's mm. basically true. That, like, I really do think that a Bernie presidency would have meant, um, just a, a lot of blowback.
4: So a corollary of what you said, like, you know, something that comes from what you just said, Matt, it's just like, so you're saying a tactical, a pro, like a tactical decision, like, like in terms of pro-voting for Biden, is that Biden being there, is that he gets the blame for it? Well, not our yeah. I mean,
1: I, I, I just really think that, like, um, It would have been the case that Bernie would have, like, any failure of a Bernie administration would have been laid at the the feet of the left, left, Hmm. yes. And it would have been used to kind of, because we're already seeing that, like, things the left didn't achieve, like, defund. Right. right. didn't even run on, which liberals right. didn't even fucking run on, actually. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we're already seeing like non policies not implemented by a Democratic administration are leading to like left punching. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and these things, these are things that didn't even happen.
0: So, yeah, they just like, conjured this shit out of midair, man. Like they're punching like air. You know what I'm saying? Like air
4: exactly. punching bags right now. They don't it's exist, a, man. It's almost like yeah, a, yeah. a, a specter haunting American politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's almost
2: like that. I I want to yeah. I want to make a correction. I said it was the Palancas. It was it was actually a Juan Carlos Madero article that's called snipers in the kitchen, but it it deals with Palancas' book State Power mm-hmm. Socialism. So oh, I'm sure your your listeners have all um, um, read read all that stuff. So.
0: Yo, we could we could talk for like, um, and you know what? I'm I'm gonna have to hit you guys back up. Uh, we're gonna have to hit you guys back up. You guys are down to maybe talk about um like abortion or the culture war because like there are so many elements to the culture war and abortion oh, yeah. and CRT and the anti-trans stuff and how all this shit kind of works yeah. together. But uh, like we we covered a lot. And um again, I just want to like we all want to thank you guys for like coming and talking <laughs> to us because uh, uh I did not tell you guys. Uh, I don't think I did tell you guys that this was a communist podcast. Um,
2: but it's <laughs> all it did, We like communists. We're happy to be
0: out
1: of yeah, communist podcast. I'm not opposed. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a hater. Okay. Uh-huh. We, until we
3: until the day that the shit hits the fan and until we're God. up against the wall, Kill Rosa. Hey bro, I got like thirty
0: friends. pairs of Jordans. I got thirty yeah. pairs of Jordans. I'll come yeah. to the wall with y'all. I'm a bad communist. Thanks. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. I'll walk myself to the wall, dripping fly as fuck. You know well, what
2: I mean? I want to say, Aaron, because you mentioned it that. Uh, if your listeners are interested in the kind of uh, the rights long war on reproductive freedom, we're, we're doing a three part series on know your enemy about Ooh. how they did it, how they won. Um, and so it's going to be uh-huh. from the conservative legal movement to mm. the conservative grassroots, the kind of Christian, right. And then a kind of synthetic synthesizing uh-huh. episode about the parties at the end, but we've redu- we've released one of them, which is about, the Federalist Society, the conservative legal movement, how they at the court level defeated <laughs> Roe or seem to have defeated Roe, um, which is out now with our friends from the Five to Four podcast. Y'all in so, the Check it out.
3: transition into plug. Shit, yeah. man. I'm Dude, about to become Julie's a patron again. Professional <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shit.
2: They're in front uh, of the yeah. paywall.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're in front of the paywall. Okay. I mean, you guys get like, y'all, I, I don't really listen to podcasts anymore now that I do them uh i think i just listened to uh QAnon anonymous and like you guys like i would listen to it and, like this morning i restarted my QAnon anonymous uh patreon here i am plugging other podcasts no fucking <laughs> listener house but no you guys should listen to know your enemy and uh for that you guys go do you guys want to plug anything that you have
1: uh anything that you guys are working on and coming out with um well, you know, uh as Sam mentioned, we have like this three part series on mm. the seeming inevitable overturning of Roe, which mm. uh we've done a lot of work on and I'm really proud of. And, you know, I would just say one other thing I wanted to say is that like of all the things happening in our politics right now, I'm especially disgusted by the attacks on trans people. Mm. And 100%. if if you know, if your listeners, you know, um Whatever they take away from this conversation, I really and truly love trans people. And I'm it's, mm. just, it's just so disgusting to me that yes. they become the object of the right's ire because, yes. you know, th- these are people who, like, proportionally are a very small percentage of the population and, you know, um, I think are just especially vulnerable to attacks like we've seen in Texas where, you know, um, we, I mean, we saw just the other day um, – uh, uh, the Texas Tribune reported that, you know, someone was uh, attempted suicide mm. uh, trans kid. and a trans kid attempted suicide. And like in the institution, like uh, it was discovered that they were receiving uh, trans affirming care. I think. Yeah. Hormone treatment. uh mm. And then this led to their parents being arrested or you know uh, right. for, yeah for for child abuse. And, and it's it's just it's just like you know, beyond 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 politics, beyond whatever kind of arguments you want to have, there's something so revolting and disgusting to me about targeting vulnerable people in this way, and uh, you know, um uh, you know, one thing I'm proud of on Know Your Enemy is the episode we did with Jillian Brandstetter, a trans activist, and uh, I would, you know, direct listeners to that conversation because uh, we could drop
0: it know, in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I just really, it's it's just really, really disgusting to me how they're targeting the very most vulnerable people in our society, uh, and I yeah. can't. It's it's just, you know, I just it's, just it's unconscionable, to,
0: man. Literal yeah, children. Like,
1: I don't really have the words for it. I mean, it's it's and it's ineffable,
0: it's unconscionable. I mean, I don't I don't have the words for it either. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't need to be like I have friends, but I mean, literally, some of my best friends are trans, and it's just, I mean, as a member of a marginalized community, right? Like I can put myself in those shoes, and not even in many ways I cannot, right? As like a cis, as as like a you know a cis man, but it's it's just disgusting, and I mean, we we were. I mean, if y'all are down, which I'm sure you guys are, we'll talk about it after. But we're gonna try to get like um like maybe an episode about that because it is one thing like we didn't talk about, it, but the culture war, where I mean, just go let just uh scapegoating, right? Just scapegoating yeah. the easiest possible fucking targets, and I mean it's cowardly, and I mean I don't have anything else to say about it because this shit really yeah. fucking upsets me, man.
2: It's worth just saying because it's like we we really do have these like long in depth charitable conversations about the right and their impulses and the intellectual underpinnings of them but um you, you gotta not lose sight of the fact that they do this shit which is just evil just fucking evil and uh it is evil that, and so literally
0: no it is ontologically like fucking i mean i have this whole thing where i've been getting to the occult type shit and that, that's another conversation i'm like yo these people are like actually literally fucking evil <laughs> like they're yeah. evil fucking people um, but that's another conversation
3: the great um, thing about uh marxism is we don't have to choose between material analysis um, and saying fuck these people and if you've ever read marx you know that he does both
4: yes we love yeah, he all does the time, both. don't
2: we folks Ma- sorry i've heard marx is <laughs> truly truly a poster
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> truly the first the first real poster but uh yeah y'all thank you so much again i mean like uh i mean you guys are like Some of the coolest people I know online and I'm personally like honored that y'all especially <laughs> after you guys like fucking again being on the New Yorker the New York Times C-SPAN everyone loves C-SPAN no seriously but um, that you guys would take the time so uh, thank you again and everybody listen to Know Your Enemy please listen to that fucking podcast yeah, so thank you Aaron.
3: guys yeah, thank you thank for you. coming yeah. on let yeah. thank thank for... do
4: the reading so you don't have to
3: exactly
2: <laughs> uh, the pleasure is all ours thank yeah, you yeah totally this was a lot of fun oh
1: yeah excellent oh, yeah.
3: And we'll uh we'll talk soon I hope.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Bye everybody. Bye. Peace. All
3: right. hey, so Do the awesome. reading. Do the reading. <laughs> Bye. Bye.